Welcome to the Sismat 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. I'll be reading the Bible. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 11 to 21. Uh, you can find that in your special booklet if you have one. It should be right near the beginning. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we were once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Shannon. Uh, last weekend, last Saturday, not the one just gone, the one before that, I was standing at a deli uh, not near here, a little bit away from here, closer to the city itself. And uh, as I was standing there in line waiting to be served, I noticed a man walk into the store. And this particular man walked in with a Geelong Cats jersey on. Would you believe it? In the middle of depressed and hostile Sydney after the swans had been totally smashed by the cats, smashed in the same way that the panthers would smash the eels, this man walked in with a Geelong Cats jersey on. Nothing would stop him wearing his stripes. I mean, I wanted to go over to him and say, dude, seriously, do you want to get out of here alive? How brave was he or silly was he? Nothing would stop him showing his true colours in that environment. We wear our stripes. We show our colours. And when we do, it shows something about what really matters to us. Sometimes it shows something about who really matters to us. As we come back into the book of 2 Corinthians Paul is talking about the most significant thing 
that has ever happened to him could ever happen to the people in the church at Corinth and by extension could happen to us. That thing, being made new in Jesus. And the pivotal verse in this passage is in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. In Greek, it's even more succinct. If anyone in Christ, new creation. Paul is so enamoured by what this is that when we are in Christ, when we come to Jesus, we are made new. We are a new creation. We're not made new by our ideologies. We're not made new by our politics. We're not made new by morality nor are we made new by serving or giving or doing other good things. There is only one way to be made new. We are made new in Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Jesus makes people new. And Paul in this part of the letter is expounding on the completeness of the change that has come over him and the impact that it's had on his life. He defends his methods, the methods that you may remember the Corinthians had been questioning, challenging him about. But he now defends them based on the stripes that he's wearing, the stripes of new creation. And he urges the church at Corinth to wear their stripes as well. And by extension, he urges us today to wear our stripes. The life of new creation creates new ways of living. We wear our stripes. And I think this new way of living can be seen in three different ways. We have a new motivation, a new outlook and a new focus. Let's think about that new motivation. Some of us in the room have uh, had the joy of having children Others haven't, but perhaps you've got a niece or a nephew or a friend of yours has had a young child. Something changes in you when you have a child and a motivation changes. I remember some years ago standing on the sideline of a schoolboy's rugby game watching my son who was then about 15, that's not him in the photo, but uh, watching him play rugby union and it was thrilling as a dad to watch that until the moment he got hit with a high tackle in a really reckless way. And at that point, everything in me compelled me to jump on the field and take matters in my own hand. Now, that was probably both really ugly, a really ugly part of me, and something really good in me. You might be pleased to know that I restrained myself. But what motivates us? What compels us? I was motivated or compelled by my son's safety. What motivates you and I? Paul speaks about being motivated by this thing he calls fear of the Lord. That's what motivates him. But what is that fear of the Lord? It's not being scared of God, like he's going to exact some sort of drastic action against you. 
And neither is the fear guilt-induced, you know, like you've done something wrong and you're going to get found out and then everything's going to blow up and you're not going to have a relationship with God anymore. That's not what we mean when we talk about fear of the Lord. Rather, it's a reverent fear, a fear that has begun to understand God's wisdom and God's ways and is seeking to rely on them rather than what we think is wise. This fear, the fear of the Lord, motivates Paul to action. And you can see there in verse 11 that he's motivated to persuade others. Now in the context of this letter, Paul is talking about more than what we might call evangelism. He's not talking about less than that, but he's talking about more than that. Paul is persuading the church at Corinth to hold fast to the true gospel even when it might seem like foolishness and weakness. Again, if you can get those cogs moving from when we were in 2 Corinthians before and go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just the chapter before this, Paul talks about our weakness and how God, his strength is seen in our weakness. Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to hold fast to the true gospel even when others see it as weak or foolish. We face the same challenge today. Worldly wisdom can encourage us to give up on core Christian beliefs because the world sees them as archaic fantasy. And worldly wisdom in a different way can also put burdensome expectation on faith that if we take on It is just too much to bear. When we fear people, when we fear humans, we will be tempted to change the message of Jesus or change the way we go about that message. But when we fear the Lord, we will hold fast to his message and his ways. Paul persuades them to do exactly that. In verse 14, he changes his language, but really is just reinforcing his point. Christ's love compels us, he says. Here is the motivation for Paul. Call it fear of the Lord, call it the love of Christ. Paul and his team are motivated by the love of the one who died for all. But not just that. Because one died for all, all have died. See, the flip side of being a new creation is that the old has gone. More than just gone to be hidden, it's died. Paul is motivated by the one who died for all so that he too could die, die to himself, die to his desires, die to his own methods. And the call to die is as much part of the new creation as the call to new life. Paul explains it more fully in verse 15 where he says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. To live for him who died for us and was raised again. 
That is transformation. Dead to the old. The life of new creation creates new ways of living. We wear our stripes. We wear new motivation. And we wear a new outlook. Now I have to say that after last week's grand final, and I am okay, thank you very much for your concern, but I've got to say that the Penrith Panthers have given us a new outlook on the way that rugby league is played. I mean, these guys are just phenomenal in the way they go about the game. Their line speed, their physicality, their discipline, their ability to execute attack just because they decide to do it flawlessly. The way we look at the game of rugby league changes. Paul says there's something about being a new creation that gives us a new outlook. But it's not about a game. It's about people. Paul says our outlook on people changes. Look at verse 16. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. This is a radical change, I think. This is defining of what it means to be a Christian, to be a new creation. No longer do we look at people with a worldly perspective, but rather we look at people through the lens of Christ. Ironically, Paul says that he used to look at Christ through a worldly perspective. And you may, if you're familiar with Paul's story, remember his story of where he used to go around persecuting Christians because he thought Christ was foolishness. But no more, Paul says, does he regard Christ from that worldly way. In verse 17, Paul exclaims that Christ makes people new. Christ had made Paul new. Christ made the Corinthians new. Christ is all that they need. Anyone who is in Christ is new. Now, I don't know about you, but this, I think, is compelling language. This isn't just people saying, oh, I'm hanging on to Jesus so I can be saved. This is a whole of life thing, being radically transformed, being new people. It's not just Jesus when it suits us. It's not just Jesus for convenience. It's radical change that Paul sees as the life of new creation. And as we know, the life of new creation creates new ways of living. We no longer look at people based on their social status, nor based on their image, nor based on their ability to persuade or to influence others. Rather, we look at people through the lens of Christ. What's that mean? Well, those who are in Christ are treated as brothers and sisters. And while we might be familiar with that sort of language, if you go back to when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, what this meant for them was people who were in slave-master relationships, or people who are at other ends of the social spectrum would start radically transforming the way they behaved with each other. 
So the slave and the master might still function in that way in part in the world, but they would see each other as brothers or sisters. This was a radical transformation, a radical new outlook. Verse 18 and 19 tells us that that new outlook is based on what God has done, that he has reconciled people to himself and reconciles people to each other. And he's done that by not counting sins against people. Our new outlook means that people are defined by who they are in Jesus. And if someone's in Christ, it means their sins have been done away with by Christ. And we relate to them through him, in him, not by worldly standards. Jesus is the only hope for reconciliation with God. Jesus is the only hope for reconciliation with each other. He is all we need. But the new outlook changes not just how we relate to others who are in Christ. It also changes how we relate to those who may not be in Christ. Twice in these verses, Paul speaks of what he calls the ministry of reconciliation, a ministry that was given to him, a ministry that he passes on. One of his friends, Paul's friends, Peter, urges us in his book called 1 Peter, he urges us to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Christians being accused of doing wrong. I'm not just talking about moral sin that Christians might have, but Christians being accused of doing the wrong thing simply because they're Christian. This is going to happen more and more in our world. More and more you will find yourself, if you name the name of Christ, being accused of doing something wrong simply because you're a follower of Jesus. But what does Peter say about how to live in that light? Though they accuse you of doing wrong, live such good lives that they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Notice Peter doesn't say, When you're accused of doing wrong, make sure you mount a good defence. Be really articulate about all the reasons why you haven't done anything wrong. That's not what he says. When you're accused of doing wrong, live such good lives that though they may accuse you, they will see your good deeds and glorify God. We're not to respond with arrogance or bigotry towards those who might see us as the wrongdoers. We're to respond by being a presence of good, of gospel, good news in the world in which we live. We are reconciled to God to be reconcilers to others. And this means being compelled by Christ's love in the way that we act towards those who haven't been reconciled. 
to be understanding that they're living in a different world with a different world view and to love them the way Christ might. To hold fast to the truth of the gospel like Paul is urging the church in Corinth and to do it with winsome grace that will show others the goodness of God in the way that we relate. The life of new creation creates new ways of living. We wear gospel reconciliation stripes. How do you see people? How do you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you treat them as new creations? Do you look for what God has done and is doing in them and join him in that, celebrating what he's doing? Or do we look with worldly wisdom, quick to critique, quick to find fault in each other? Do we urge each other to flourish in living the new creation life? Or do we allow each other, perhaps even forbid it, encourage each other to wallow in old worldly ways? And how do we see those who aren't in Christ? Those in the streets and suburbs around us. Those in cities and scattered across all ends of the earth. Do we buy into narratives of our world that just seek to polarise people and create an us and them mentality? Or are we compelled by Christ's love, by his sacrificial love, trusting his wisdom and his methods even when we feel weak and vulnerable. The life of new creation creates new ways of living. We wear our stripes. We wear new motivation. We wear new outlook and we wear a new focus. Focal point changes everything. As you look at that photo, your eyes are drawn to the cross. It's not that there's nothing else happening in the photo, there's other things going on there. And if the artist, the photographer, chose a different focal point, your eyes would be drawn to it. But focal point changes everything. And just as the cross is the focal point of that particular photo, Paul is reminding those at Corinth and by extension us that we, for, for us who have been made new, the cross of Christ wasn't just the means to coming to faith, but is the means of going on in faith. Our focus is the cross of Christ. Verse 20 and 21 says it so clearly. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God put sin on Jesus so that we could be free. God has done everything for us to be reconciled to him. And God reconciles us to himself so that we can then be involved in the ministry of reconciliation with others. Perhaps this evening, as you sit here and listen, 
you know that you've lost focus on the cross. Perhaps you've never had focus on the cross. Paul implores you, as would all of your friends implore you, be reconciled to God. I don't know what it is that stops you being reconciled to him. Perhaps it's something you've done. Perhaps it's that you fear you won't be able to live up to that calling. Perhaps you've got questions that don't seem to have answers. What you need to know is that Jesus has done everything that is needed for you to be reconciled to God. Nothing more needs to be done. There is nothing that you can add to that. God has made him who had no sin be sin for us. God has put it on Jesus. Jesus has paid the price for our sin that we can be reconciled to him. There's no promise of everything going right if you're reconciled to God. It's still a hard world to live in with all sorts of things making it more difficult. But by being reconciled to God, you have a relationship of intimacy with the one who made everything and the one who keeps everything going. And by being reconciled to God, you have a promise that no matter what takes place in your life, he will be there right with you, walking with you, strengthening you in the middle of it. And by being reconciled to God, you have the promise that your sins are forgiven and you have a hope for life now and life forever. Jesus has done it all. Be reconciled to God. For those of you who have been reconciled to God, for those of you who are in Christ, what is your focus? It's so easy, isn't it? for our eyes to shift from the cross to all sorts of other focal points in life and the cross is still there, but it's just not our focal point. Christ died so that people can be reconciled to him. Christ died so that anyone could be reconciled to him, but not just anyone. Christ died so that the people that you love the people that you ache for, your family and your friends who aren't in Christ could be reconciled to him. He's done it all and calls you and I into his ministry of reconciliation. And it's not just for our families and friends. It's for those people that we see occasionally, maybe at school or at uni or in the workplace or when we wander down the street. It's for your teammates in your sports team. He has done all that's needed for them to be reconciled to him. He wants you to wear your stripes so that they might wear his stripes. He wants you to live a new life that they might gain new life. The life of new creation creates new ways of living. We wear our stripes. What stripes do you wear?
Heavenly Father, we thank you that all that has needed to be done for forgiveness of sin and to be made new has been done in Jesus. Strengthen us that we might live in the reality of new creation. For any here, Lord, who have yet to be reconciled to you, may you work in them and prod them and point them towards Jesus. And for all of us who are in him, may you give us a heart and eyes and desire for those around us that we might live such good lives that people might see our good deeds and glorify the Lord Jesus by being reconciled to him. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.